Welcome to AM Best Audio. External insurance asset manager continues to grow as insurers look for every advantage possible in their never-ending quest for yield. I'm John Weber for Best Review Magazine, and I'm speaking today to Tim Antonelli, Head of Insurance Multi-Asset Strategies and Portfolio Manager for Wellington Management. Tim, so great to speak with you as always. Yes, great to connect. So Tim, what are some of the things that you're hearing from clients? I've had the pleasure of speaking with well over 100 insurers on a year-to-date basis. And some themes are, are, are really kind of covered in one overarching word, and that's one of uncertainty. On the underwriting side, the P&C industry has been hit by a pretty high number of convective storms for the first seven months, eight months of this year. And you can, as you'd expect, the claims experience as a result has been fairly poor. Now, they have been able to have decent gains from premiums on a year-to-date basis, but when you couple the increase in claims activities with also the rising cost of inflation, it hasn't been a great story for P&C companies. From the health company perspective, Medicare utilization has been a drag on profitability, but overall, the bottom line has been fairly well insulated. And in the life and annuity space, the companies have kind of come back down to earth post-COVID where there was such a large spike in premiums. And we're also noticing a lot more utilization of reinsurance by those companies in a way that wasn't as commonplace even five years ago. Now, on the investment side of the house, the name of the game continues to be capturing high-grade, high-quality investment yields in core fixed income. And then from the equity perspective, the Magnificent Seven and all the gains in the large cap growth area were largely not owned at a benchmark weight by insurers who have a tendency to skew towards more value, lower volatility and higher dividend names. So they did lag that performance. All of this has added up to insurers utilizing us a lot more for strategic asset allocation studies, for stress testing and scenario analysis. So are you seeing anything different in the way of asset allocation? Yes. Well, there are some things that are very intuitive and probably what we would have expected as we came into the year. There's been a few things that have also been a little bit surprising. I think the dominant theme, as I mentioned, continues to be the relative attractiveness of core fixed income. Uh, And that being said, when you're making a decision about how to think about allocating the risk or surplus assets, It's very hard to say you should be investing in higher uh, volatility asset classes when you can earn something like six and a half, seven percent in AAA securitized, for example. So we've seen the relative attractiveness of surplus assets come down. Additionally, we've seen insurers who are maintaining exposure to these risk asset classes either skew higher in credit quality. So whether that's taking your bank loan or high yield exposure to double B, single B, and trying to make that a more conservative allocation, or for the insurers that maybe had exposure to all of those large cap tech names, maybe they're monetizing some of those year-to-date gains and they're reallocating to the parts of the market that lag. Hopefully they can catch up from a multiple expansion perspective and also perform with less volatility over time. And then finally, in terms of realized gains and losses for life insurers in particular, as you can imagine, with interest rates continuing to go up, the large unrealized losses that many of these life insurers have been sitting on have made trading uh, relatively problematic. But we're expecting that with the new rules passed by the NAIC around the interest maintenance reserve and being able to amortize that loss 
over a longer period of time, we'll start to see more trading on the margin from some of those longer duration insurers. Now, I have been surprised by the fact that insurers really haven't taken their foot off the gas when it's come to allocating towards the liquid parts of the market. I would have thought coming into this year with elevated public market yields, you wouldn't have needed to use the illiquid markets as much as we've seen over the last five to 10 years. That really hasn't been the case. And we've seen no signs of interest in those illiquid asset classes moderating. There is one exception to that, though, where we have seen life insurers stop allocating to mortgage loans or direct mortgages in places that have substantial exposure to office property and for very good reason. As we know, between office property and retail, uh, those can be a little bit more problematic and maybe they don't have to reach into those markets with more uncertainty at this point, given the yields at the other parts of the asset class. All that being said, the remaining exposure in those asset class are very high quality, have favorable loan to value ratios, and haven't been much concern for the large allocators there. Finally, we continue to see demand in asset classes that can provide uncorrelated return streams and some sort of diversification towards the traditional fixed income and equities that insurers hold. So this can be underappreciated asset classes that don't fit cleanly into one bucket, such as convertible bonds. This has actually been uh, the beginning of discussions in an allocation towards hedge funds, which hadn't had fallen out of favor over the last 10 years of largely upward rising uh, market valuations. Um, but they're liking things like a macro strategy fund that plays off rate volatility and more dispersion across central banks. And then finally, we're starting to see insurers really grapple with, is inflation here to stay? And is that going to be a lot longer than they would have expected? And should there be structural allocations within their strategic asset allocation that can combat some of the inflationary uh, drag both on the claim side and on their investments. So, Tim, are concerns about inflation subsiding to some degree? Well, I mean, John, we've seen inflation moderate considerably since the summer of 2022, and we've seen declines in core goods pricing and foods and autos in particular, and actually in airfare. But now that we're seeing recent increases in commodities, it's fair to question if some of those trends could be reversing. Now, for airfares in particular, we've seen prices come down, but this is with a backdrop of continued high demand for airfare and travel. As we know, a lot of us have taken a lot of vacation this summer, and, and many people have actually gone international uh, at the same time that we've seen oil go above 80. And so it's fair to question how we can expect price declines when you have such a strong demand picture and a rising cost of commodities. And then we also see many reports that exclude shelter from how you're thinking about inflation. But our macro team is very quick to point out that it's an incredibly large portion of the overall CPI index. It's very correlated to interest rates, and it's a significant portion of consumer uh, net worth. And so when we look at the shelter picture um, and we see what the vacant rental unit rates are, year over year, they're up considerably. And it's not a stretch for us to imagine that the price reductions in that part of the market won't fall as fast as what we believe the Fed and others are actually thinking. So all of this kind of comes together to say that we have seen inflation moderate over the last six to 12 months, but we actually expect it to trough and then actually go back up to three and a half or 4% for the next six to 12 months. Tim, I got to ask, what's your outlook for portfolio management as we move into 2024? And so if you look at uh, the, the market and you take the poll and consensus of what 
the next 12 month recession probability will be. You're seeing some researchers bring that probability down to zero. We're seeing a bunch at 20%. But when you aggregate everything, it's still pretty much a coin flip when it comes to a recession in the next 12 months. Uh, this is all a way of saying that the theme that we started discussing on a year to date basis is one that's going to continue heading forward into 2024. And that is of uncertainty. And as I you know, talk with our insurance clients, I, I often tell them there's three major things that I see that they should be focusing on heading into the new year. The first is how long will the Fed be comfortable enough to let rates remain at an elevated level? I just mentioned the story with inflation and that's the short term trends. There's structural trends to the inflation picture like deglobalization and onshoring and uh, climate and transition expenses that are likely going to be inflationary. So is the Fed going to be comfortable with a new run rate of inflation, something above the 2% target? If that's the case, you know, maybe they will do cuts in the middle or the back half of the, of the next year. But alternatively, they could run rates at a higher level in an effort to get that to come down, and it may take longer than the market appreciates. The second theme is given the high concentration of credit within an insurer's asset allocation, 2024 will be the first true test of the beginning of the maturity wall, where these companies that had turned out all of their debt at very low rates will now have to go to market at these elevated rates to be able to refinance their debt. How does that factor into the credit deterioration of corporate fundamentals, interest coverage ratios, debt service coverage ratios? And how does that trickle down into the consumer debt picture once all the COVID era spending is behind us and we see wages starting to moderate? And last but certainly not least, 2020, 20, uh, 2024 is an election year. And if you think about how much um, government and fiscal spending has been a headwind or a tailwind rather for the GDP in the uh, U.S. economy, you do have to wonder if that were to, to be reduced, in particular with a, a looming government shutdown in the fourth quarter of this year, but then also uh, more fiscally conservative candidates that could uh, run for office in 2024, if they're elected and you don't have that funneling of fiscal cash into the U.S. economy, and that's unwound, what would be the implications on the growth picture? And could that put us in a more prolonged recessionary environment going forward? So those are really the headlines. And to tackle those from a portfolio management perspective, there's really a couple key things to pay attention to. One would be think about gaps or areas of risk in your current strategic asset allocation. So how are you prepared if we do enter a deep recession? If the market consensus of a mild recession or no recession doesn't come to play, how, how are you prepared in terms of your drawdown potential? Where are you most exposed from a risk perspective? Also, what if we don't enter the recession and the market continues to run in a positive way, fueled on the back of AI and increases in technology breakthroughs in that arena? How are you able to not lag the broad markets and capture a return if that ends up being the case? How are your exposures going to perform in the event that we do see that large deterioration on consumer and corporate balance sheets? And we see fundamentals meaningfully decline over time. Or if the economy experiences this higher for longer inflationary environment that we discussed. Also, I think it's critical to monitor inadvertent concentration of risk in your portfolios. So this can be from something like the denominator effect where public market assets drew down in 2022, leaving private assets as an outsized exposure for an insurer's portfolio. But it could also be something like manager and style drift, where if you're not invested in those seven stocks because you're a value manager and you're really lagging the broad market, 
have you started to add growthier parts of the value market, which could inadvertently make an insurer not get the expected beta that they would in those allocations. So re-underwrite a lot of those portfolio strategies. Second, manage your liquidity in a way that allows you to be opportunistic in the event of a sell-off. I think right now is a great time to beware of monitoring your cash flow uses and sources, thinking about holding some cash in short duration credit where you're being compensated well with an all-in yield, and you could buy into a market if you see a sell-off in a place like high yield or bank loan debt. Also, work through asset class ideas in the illiquid arena, even if they're not the most compelling right now. So get internal buy-in from your constituents, have the investment committee and the board approve something like a private placement style investment, and then be ready to capitalize when the yield from uh, private to public gets more compelling on the margin. Also, I think considering derivatives right now to hedge downside risk, to earn income from things like writing options, or to, uh, to increase your ALM effectiveness would be really important to consider right now. I think derivative use has long been thought to be only for the larger, more sophisticated insurers. I actually think that there's a place for mid-size and smaller insurers to use derivatives in an efficient uh, part of their, their risk management processes. And so I would kick the tires on that as well. And then finally, I like to say embrace a solutions mindset. So instead of making an allocation to fixed income and viewing a traditional mix as fixed income and equity, make an allocation to a portfolio that, that achieves an objective. This can be a yield target using multi-asset, this can be a downside upside capture ratio that is in line with what you'd want from your surplus volatility perspective, or this could even be something that focuses on capital efficiency, whether that be regulatory or rating agency. I think coming up with a blended multi-strategy or multi-asset approach at this time when there's so much uncertainty would be a really critical way of getting ahead of all the unknowns that are, are likely to occur in 2024. And I guess the overarching theme here would be have a dynamic asset allocation. Do not set it, forget it. I think it'll be critical to be nimble and to take advantage of opportunities when they're presented to you and just following the market consensus or leaving things be until there's more clarity may cause you to miss some of the best and most compelling investment opportunities that you'd have a chance to get. Tim, as always, great to speak with you. Thanks, John. That was Tim Antonelli, Head of Insurance, Multi-Asset Strategies and Portfolio Manager for Wellington Management. And I'm John Weber for Best Review Magazine. Looking to get the attention of the insurance industry? We have the platforms to do just that. Whether it be AM Best TV, AM Best Audio, Best Review Magazine, or Best Day, Find out more by contacting our Advertising Services Business Development Team at 908-882-1706.